You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. I haven't spoken to my next guest since the coronavirus overtook our lives. Uh, his name is Chris Hart. He's the executive chairman of Impact Investment Africa, speaking to us from Johannesburg. Chris, we're very good at shooting ourselves in the foot, but at the same time, the last thing we need is someone to put a gun to our head, which is what we've got now. We've got our own self-inflicted problems, and at the same time, we've got the international crisis. This must be one of the most difficult times that you've ever seen in your decades as a person who studies South Africa, its economy, and beyond. Yeah, I think you, you're right, is that, that this is something that we haven't seen really in modern history. Uh, there was, I suppose, a semblance of this in the 1950s um, with, the, uh, with the polio epidemic, but the economy was never closed down. So you had schools closed for, uh, you know, for, you know, for periods, uh, you know, while they waited for these things to settle down. But to a large extent, the economy wasn't shut down. And I suspect that the Great Depression was, you know, another time when you didn't have economic activity, but that was not because it was deliberately shut down. So I, I don't think we're facing anything like the Great Depression, um, but it would feel depression-like at least for, you know, the best part of a year. Um, it won't go on for the whole decade, I don't think. I think that would be a bit melodramatic, but I, I think one needs to to appreciate that the uh, the economy is going to be very depressed across the globe. And I think we're seeing this with oil prices as one sense. Um, and and I think uh, financial markets are adjusting in another. Uh, and there's still going to be, I, I don't think we've seen the last drawdown um, of this. And, I, and I'll tell you why, is that this is what I call as a discontinuous event, right? It's... Um, uh, it's not something um, that that our models and all the rest of it can actually uh, deal with. Usually you're dealing with a continual flow of information that adjusts from time to time in a cyclical fashion, but you don't actually have a line drawn and say, boom, uh, there we go, um, you know, reset. Um, and so I think the actual drawdown in, in terms of what negative numbers we can expect for the economy is very difficult. When the Reserve Bank, for instance, uh, met uh, at its formal monetary policy meeting, they decided to cut interest rates by 100 basis points because I think they got an inkling that this is bigger than what they thought. But they still had economic growth at minus naught point something, right, for the the year at that particular stage. Two weeks later, they meet again and now they've got a much bigger drawdown of a big number, minus... 6.1, I think, is the number you're looking for. That was I their official that, number, yes. That's the official number for, for the year. And I think this is, this is the, um, the heads trying to get around this particular problem. Uh, the Reserve Bank has the, the, the biggest and deepest um, uh, research department in this particular field, and it's still trying to get... I, I would think that the you know the same models to to work etc. And, and though the models aren't wrong and and um, they will work, but I think the, the the bottom line is to actually deal with this period where you actually shut the economy down. Um, you, you you're literally talking about maybe for for the month of April, at least where instead of if it was a hundred, you might actually have a number 
you know, closer to, you know, maybe 40. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you've got to actually factor, factor in at the same time. Um, the, the other problem is, is how do you recover? This is not something that you switch on and then switch or, or switch off. And then as you switch it on, right, it's back to where you were before. Um, there's quite a bit of stuff that happens and water that flows under the bridge while, while everybody's uh, locked at home and can't, you know, can't really do anything. Yes, you're absolutely right. And this is one of the points I've been making. And, and again, I'm repeating myself, but I'm going to repeat it for your benefit as well. There's people talking about a V-shaped recovery, a W-shaped recovery, a U-shaped recovery, an L-shaped recovery, some kind of letter assigned to the alphabet when it comes to a recovery. Yes. But I don't believe I've walked around a city in Europe very recently and I look at uh, shops that are closed down and said, uh, we're temporarily closed, we'll open as soon as we're allowed to. Others have got great big planks uh, boarding up yes. the windows and those are the ones that I think just can't last another month or can't last another week or couldn't last the first month so things will not go back to normal immediately there will be a recovery there will be some optimism there will be a psychological factor that economies are slowly opened up again which is fantastic yes. but it's going to take months and months and months yeah. to get back to normal now I remember many many years ago Chris you said to me, and it was many, many years ago, it's maybe eight, nine years ago, you said yeah. you thought that one day there's a potential for South Africa to have to go to the, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, oh, with a begging bowl. Do you remember that conversation we had? You were in, a, you were in a, a different job. And I said, well, that yes. sounds a bit outlandish. You said, no, it'll be when the rand is you know, 20 to 25 to the US dollar. And here yes. we are close to that. Are we close to yes. that? Uh, the, the thing is, Tito Mbawini is already talking about having to go to the IMF. All right. And, and part of the problem is that the journey South Africa has gone um, in terms of um, uh, the, the economic direction it's taken. And I, I can pinpoint almost the day that the, South Africa's trajectory changed. It was like a switch flipping into the in, in the economy, the what? day was when mm. the charges were dropped against Zuma. I just knew at that particular time something fundamental has changed in South Africa. I call it the second watershed, um, where effectively you're creating impunity at the top. Uh, that impunity, to keep that impunity um, uh, as such, you've got to actually damage every single institution of state which made the first watershed successful. And I think that's certainly come to light, is that you can see that switch. The data, you know, you've, we've now got, you know, we're 10 years, 10, 12 years on that particular um, uh, moment, and we can see the data actually, um, you, you know, turning at that, you know, more or less at that particular point. We had a global financial crisis in 2008, which gives uh, cover, you know, during that particular period but we can see the actual huge underperformance of South Africa post-2008, where South Africa just did not recover to, the, to, to any remote extent that the rest of the world did. Um, you know, under, uh, under um, performance, just wide, widened, you know, with the rest of the world um, quite, quite considerably at that, that particular point. Now, in 2008... If, if we now go back there, I, I, and this is a point I've made f- frequently, South Africa 
actually had a great deal of resilience at that particular point. We had the global economy falling on its face. We had iconic brands falling on its face, including General Motors and um, uh, or there's a whole litany, um, Merrill Lynch, Bear Stearns, and Mer- Lehman Brothers, Brothers yes, exactly. Um, themselves. Not a single South African corporate fell on its face at that particular point. Now we go uh, 10 years down the line, and, and I'll, I'll call it for what it is, to, to go down a, a, a Marxist, uh, Stalinist type of economic policy uh, uh you know, incrementally tightening the controls, the um, doctrine is about control um, and the looting that goes with it. South Africa gets into this particular crisis with a number of corporates um, basically ready to fall on their face if they haven't fallen on their face already um, without a crisis in sight. Now we go into a crisis. There are some companies that are not going to go, uh, that are not, and these are large companies, that are not going to open their doors when the, the when this lift out finishes unless they get some sort of a bailout. Okay. Well, this is what I uh, sorry to interrupt you. This is what I was saying in yeah. in that rather corny introduction that I gave. We shoot ourselves in the yes. foot, but now we've got a gun to our head. We were shooting ourselves yes. in both feet, uh, corporate wise, for yes. two to three years. So there's been a litany of these disasters, and now suddenly, and we've got the the double whammy of the in, of an international influence as well. Yeah, we've got, we, we, not only since 2008 uh, or 2007-2008 has South Africa's resilience disappeared. We've also seen a lot more sleaze coming into the private sector as the, as the ANC has pushed their crony BEE policies. And I'll use that very deliberately because I'm not opposed to black economic empowerment. I'm opposed to BEE being used as a front to push um, you know, to push cronyism, and we, we're seeing that the internal uh, sleaze that we're seeing in, um, you know, the parastatals and, um, and and government departments, we're seeing that pushed into the private sector as well now. Um, the So it, it, it becomes, it, it really does become a difficult um, uh, setup that South Africa faces, because the 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 corruption that, you know, that's that sapped our energy, the lifeblood out of the economy, has destroyed trust. So, uh, I, I, I'll use a, an analogy: is that if things are, are in good shape, in other words, the structure of things are in good shape, the, the um, um, you, you, you take, for instance, in mining, if in mining, if you've got like a downturn in mining and you've got a mine marginal shaft, but the overall uh, investment environment is good and healthy and um, thing. you'll find investors are happy to carry that marginal shaft through the downturn because there is at least certainty and, and uh, prospects of an upside beyond the downturn because these things are cyclical. Investors will actually uh, carry, um, you know, carry these things through the downturn. When you don't have that, you get a marginal shaft, you get a downturn, you just shut it. So it's just too much, too much trouble to, you know, to keep going. And, and that's, that's what, what is affected when you've got investor confidence that is not there. And in South Africa, I'd add not just investor confidence, investor trust. And so 
something that's, you, you know, wobbling. You get a downturn like that, it's much easier just to shut it, right, and walk away. Um, and and that's, that's what I think you've got a lot of a factor that we've got to actually face. And then, of course, the, the, the fact that the balance sheets have been weakened over the last, um, you know, 10 years, that in the corporate sector, it's just an absolute disaster in the small business sector because through the last, uh, it's even gone longer than the last 10 years, but the, the over-regulation has basically, um, any small business will see this because they don't have the economies of scale that the large businesses have to deal with the cost of meeting regulatory requirements. That's also helped to set the lifeblood out of the economy. So any small business is already expending too many, too much resources to meet regulatory requirements, and sometimes it suits the large businesses in any case to do that because it keeps competition out of the out of the economy. And it's one of the reasons why we sit with with this very high unemployment rate. So it, I, I talk about the three ugly sisters, um, and, and I've spoken to this to, to your audience as well about that is that corruption is one of the ugly sisters that makes South Africa almost uninvestable. Second is over-regulation, especially when you've got costs being imposed on the South African economy that nobody else imposes. And the third is the very high tax rates that we actually face. And I know South Africa compares itself and puts it more or less in the middle of the thing. But it's the huge inefficiencies of tax expenditure that makes it the highest burden in the world. So money is taken out of our pockets for education, but to a large extent, the uh, how can you say the economic engine of South Africa, the, the middle class, cannot use the schools. They actually have to use private education. Same with health and and um, and security, etc. And so that makes the tax burden one of, if not the based in the world, at least for a reasonably developed economy. But Chris, you've, you've spoken about the Three Ugly Sisters before, but they're even more pertinent now, or rather your interpretation of the Three Ugly Sisters is even more pertinent now, because when the world starts to come out of this, whether it be in three months' time or three years' time, there will be so many yes. cherries to pick. There will be so much, to use corny yes. phrases, so much low-hanging fruit, everything will be a dripping yes. roast, and you can choose what you want. What you're saying is, and you just said that South Africa... Those three ugly sisters make South Africa uninvestable. If that is the case, yes. and if people perceive that to be the case, then they've got so many other things to choose, then they will do so, and we'll get left behind yet again. Well, I will say, for instance, up until about three, four years ago, South Africa was trying to, you know, gain, you know, putting out its marketing campaign to try and attract investment from the rest of the world to a large extent, since Cyril Ramaphosa has come in, um, we've ratcheted up, up those marketing campaigns. We've branded ourselves, you know, gone to Davos with, you know, all matching uh, scarves and caps and all the rest of it to, to be Team South Africa. But in the last three years, the change in mindset is not so much in attracting new investment because that's what we're not doing, is just to hold on to the existing investors in South Africa, you're starting to see a big hemorrhage, and um, and, and Anglo Gold should have been the biggest, um, you know, warning bell that should have actually get you know got crisis 
meetings going to actually say how the hell do we attract people back and and not uh, and stop the hemorrhage um, and and so when we when we go out of this crisis right do we do we have the wherewithal to actually attract the necessary capital to commit ourselves to restarting all our businesses and to, to, to if somebody's short of um, short of capital and do they actually start their their, their smaller um, you know maybe foreign operations rather than their local they'll commit to the, the foreign because the the actual return on investment has got a better better prospect. Um, you don't have the same costs that are imposed in South Africa, which actually reduces the, the investability. Okay, a fairly bleak picture, Chris. I'm just looking at some data that's just come across my screen now, and it's short-term data. It's all to do with the business cycle and business activity, etc. And the other thing, but the, the, the more important thing I wanted to talk to you about was I saw a tweet of yours sort of mooting the fact that there may be talk of a wealth super tax in order to fund various activities that need to be funded, i.e. a trillion yes. rand fund to, to help the poor, to help small businesses, yeah. and, and so on. There's so much money needed and, and so little uh, revenue streams. What is the likelihood of that happening? Well, the thing is, it's again part of the reason why South Africa is in the hole that it is, is that It's, again, looking at maybe a wealth tax, maybe taking money out of the pension funds, however you want to actually look at it. Okay, And there will be words used like solidarity, etc. Unfortunately, the identity politics that that South Africa runs, it will never never be um, split. There's a trust deficit, let's put it that way, um, in terms of the use of that. But again, what will happen is that you're actually taking capital and converting it into uh, you, you're converting it into consumption. South Africa's problem is that we lack capital, right? And when you and, and we will need capital to keep the economy going. We need to be able to attract investment. We already have too many taxes on capital which is one of the actual taxes on capital are a highly destructive uh, kind of tax, especially in an emerging market context. There isn't a single emerging market that can justify taxes on capital because they are all short. It's not unique to South Africa. We are short of capital. To tax capital is like eating seeds, uh, but you want, you still want harvests. It's still it's not going to happen, and, and that's the the damage. Uh, I think that um, uh, institutions like the World Bank and IMF have wreaked in emerging markets. They've said the developed world charges these taxes. Maybe you should too to widen your tax base, etc. In other words, very very much a top down um, type of approach. But. Um, we need to be cutting back on these taxes so that we can actually attract capital into the economy. Um, we, we need to actually relieve uh, regulatory burdens, that, especially burdens that are not put on any, anybody else um, uh, in the world because we are competing against the rest of the world. Um, I've yes. used the image, like water flows downhill, capital also flows to parts of the world that is easier to invest and easier to do business. It's the same type of thing. It's not that, you know, there's 
no water uh, at higher levels. It's just that it flows to lower levels naturally. And um, uh, we've we've got to um, we've got to really uh, we we don't put South African policy in the context of what's happening in the world. Right, we are competing against everybody else. I I also like to use the image that if you've got an investor right that's arrived at Heathrow Airport right with a billion dollars in his suitcase and he's got the choice to fly anywhere in the world to invest his billion dollars. Yes. Why why would he get on the plane to Johannesburg to invest it? We have to give him reasons to get on that plane to Johannesburg and not go to Bangkok or Thailand or New York or whatever. We have to give them reasons to get onto the plane. It's not impossible. Uh, it's very possible to put a, a competitive and a t- attractive um, dispensation uh, together, but we are not doing it. We're doing the exact opposite. We're actually getting giving people reasons to head to Joburg and get onto the plane to somewhere else with their capital. And yes, uh, what, unfortunately, the, the cutting taxes is just so unpalatable at the moment, and uh, it's almost impossible, whether it be South Africa or, or any other uh, juris- cut, jurisdiction. Can, Mr. You, Trump's done it, you but can, um, you yeah, can South Africa can't. Yeah, I, I, I can say we, 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 we understand why you can't t- cut taxes. Uh, funny enough, if you do cut taxes, you will actually be in a better position because we've really gone beyond the latter curve. Mm. But let's say we can't cut taxes. We can cut regulations. It's an absolutely costless way of taking costs out of running a business. Mm. Right. Um, and that we can do. Right. Uh, and that we, we, can, we can cut the cost of – and we can keep, like, for instance, labor regulations. You can keep exactly to the same standard, stringent standards that, that are expected, but cut the cost of compliance by 90%. All right. Um, it's not difficult. Okay, uh, but we we want a command and control system, and so it's the, the mindset is just simply not there to actually um, do it. Speaking about regulations, Chris, just the last two minutes, if you would, how appropriate is a lockdown in South Africa? That's a regulation. Everyone is adhering, well, the majority of the population is adhering to it, albeit uh, kicking and screaming. Is it appropriate for South Africa to be in lockdown? Because suddenly there are all these dissenting voices saying, oh, no, we shouldn't do that. We should open up the economy and this and this, and I'd rather be... um, uh, I can't think of the phraseology. It's very corny. Uh, But anyway, you you know what I'm saying. South Africa in lockdown, what is your opinion? My sense is we've got it. The use of our time for lockdown, right, is to prepare ourselves for unlocking down. Okay, in other words, releasing it. So... Um, my problem with the lockdown is it's a top-down approach. In other words, people who are well, right, or not well, right, you're all, you're all tarred with the same brush. You all stay inside. Um, now, to me, uh, the preparation for t- lifting the lockdown is to get testing in place and pinpoint where, where somebody is sick, you target that person, isolate that person. Right, and who did they come into contact with? Rather go on that that thing and do, do general barrier protect, protection so that people can get, carry on with their lives. Right, um, in other words, a pinpointed approach is a better one. I, I think the same goes with things like FICA and FIRES and all the rest of it. Everybody gets wrapped up with anti-financing terrorism laws, but none of us are financing terrorism. And these blanket approaches don't, it certainly isn't working with anti-terrorism finance because um, it's the same thing. Top-down approach, this blanket approach, 
um, I, I'm, I'm generally not in favour of. Um, I understand, you know, here's something happening that you don't know, you know, what, where and how, you know, put a stop. But then the plan is to actually get a pinpoint approach to actually carry, you know, to, to go forward. Um, there are some upsides and downsides in terms of this whole thing. One is we are all learning how to run businesses on e on an e basis, an e uh, electronic basis, and I think this is what's going to see a big, big change. Is that where businesses can't run like that, um, like print news, newspapers, for instance, and that sort of thing, are probably going to die very quickly. You know, beyond this particular period, because people are, if they, you couldn't do the net before, you're now doing it, and so. I think uh, bricks and mortar, the actual uh, people discover you can do a lot of your business from home. And I think you're going to see, a, uh, you know, formal offices downsizing, hot desking more, um, more thing and more people working at home uh, or from home, uh, you know, going forward. So you're going to see a big restructuring of the economy and there, there are going to be losers and they're going to be winners from there. So there are opportunities that will pop up. Um, you know, post this uh, this period. I hope so, and I hope those opportunities are grabbed with both hands by whether it be domestically or from international investors as well. But as I said earlier on, there are so many opportunities that are going to present themselves. South Africa must put itself at the front of the queue. Chris Hart, thank you very much for your analysis. Chris Hart is Executive Chairman of Impact Investment Africa. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.